This is Positively Farming Media. Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome to a special episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. This episode, we are digging into growing cut flowers in our garden. I am not a flower farmer. I'm a mediocre flower grower at best, but I love having cut flowers in my house, and I am determined to grow my own at some point. And since right now is the time we should be preparing our beds for the spring and flower beds would be no exception, I thought it was the perfect time to talk to an expert. Kathy Gormandy is a cut flower farmer and the owner of P&K Farms, a three-acre farmstead in southern Alabama. P&K Farms is a small, sustainable family farm offering seasonal cut flowers, arrangements, and event work. And Kathy got her start selling flowers at the farmer's market just as a way to attract attention to her vegetable stand. She quickly realized the demand for those flowers outpaced any vegetable she could grow, and her flower farming journey began. I sat down with Kathy to get advice on the easiest flowers to start with, perennials that make good cut flowers, tips for how to keep blooms coming on all season long, the best soil conditions for growing flowers, and more. I got so much good information from this conversation, and I already have my wish list going for what I want to plant here for my own homegrown bouquets. Get ready to take notes because Kathy is a wealth of information and a joy to listen to. Let's dig in. Hey, I'm Karen. I started gardening years ago in a small corner of my suburban backyard, then moved to a five acre lot outside city limits and expanded that garden to half an acre. What started as a way to provide for my family turned into a love for digging in the dirt and providing for others. Slowly, my husband and I built our small homestead into a 40-acre market farm through lots of trial and error and successes and failures. Eventually, I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture, and along the way, I discovered there is power in food. So I want to share everything I've learned with as many people as possible. This podcast is all about helping you become a better gardener and a better eater. Whether you're a seasoned gardener or have never grown a thing in your life, I want to give you the knowledge you need to get the biggest and best harvest you can. So settle in, grab that garden journal, and get ready to just grow something. Kathy, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast today. I am super excited to talk all things cut flowers with you. Thanks for having me. Um, I love talking about flowers. I can talk about them all day. So it's nice when I have an ear that's willing to listen. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I'm, I am ready for this. So for the listeners who don't know, um, tell me a little bit who you are and what do you do? Okay. So I am Kathy Gormandy. Um, I am a cut flower grower. I grow in South Alabama, Zone 8B. Um, we actually started our farm in 2017 as um, a veggie and herb market garden. Um, like a lot of people do. Um, and then we have a little farmer's market in our town and we would go to it as a once a month kind of thing. And we took our veggies and um, sold them there. And then I tried to, the next season, jazz my market stand up with some flowers because, you know, they're pretty and they'll attract people to the stand and, and they'll they'll buy my vegetables. Well, the flowers sold like hotcakes and for a much higher price point <laughs> than the vegetables. Um, so that's kind of where I said, huh, there's a light bulb went on there. I'm like, maybe this is my niche. Um, we do have a lot of other small vegetable growers in our area and nobody was really doing cut flowers. Um, and it's just a whole different, it's a luxury item and people will splurge on that for themselves when they may not think to splurge on 
a $3 a pound organically grown tomato. They'll, they want to talk you down on that price, but they'll drop $15 on a mason jar that has zinnias in it. Like, no problem. Just won't even bat an eye. So I'm like, okay. But, you know, and I wanted my farm to be sustainable from a lot of different aspects, including financially. Um, I do have an off-farm job, but I would love one day uh, to be able to farm full-time. And so the money part needed to make sense. And the effort that I was putting forth to grow all my things, you know, you need to have a little bit of something to show for that at the end of it. So um, flowers definitely gave that to me. And I actually found it easier to grow flowers than to grow vegetables, at least in our zone. Um, a lot of our vegetables, you know, just constantly fighting um, high pest pressure, um, the heat and the humidity. And I know you have a lot of heat and humidity where you are as well. Um, this is like this losing battle almost. You're always feeling like you're going uphill. Um, but at least with the flowers that I started with, the easier flowers that I'll talk about a little bit later, um, they didn't seem to have that much of an issue. And so it was kind of nice to plant the seed and watch it grow and harvest it and be like, wow, huh, look at that. <laughs> you know, so so that was nice. And then, of course, you get down a rabbit hole and you start to grow things that are a little more challenging. And they're like, OK, well, you know, it, it's not all easy, but it was easy to start. And then um, it just kind of gained momentum from there. I love that. I love that you started as a market gardener and very quickly figured out that maybe that wasn't where your niche is. Because I think what we've discovered too is, especially in more rural areas where people have more of an opportunity to grow their own stuff or to have their own chickens or whatever, you can't really command too much of a price for certain things. Like, you know, you want to charge $4 a dozen for eggs. And they're like, yeah, I can walk to my neighbor up the street who's got chickens and she's going to charge me a buck 50. Or if I bring her a stack of cartons, she's going to give me free eggs, you know? So it's not until you get into the other areas where maybe people aren't growing the same things. But for flowers, like unless you are a really dedicated sort of flower gardener, a lot of the times you don't have that thing that you can cut and bring in the house. Like, so that's interesting that you, that's how you found your niche. So you said that you started with the, the easiest ones. So what types of flowers are good for somebody who is just starting with trying to do like a cut flower garden? Yeah. So beginner flower growers, um, anybody that, you know, everybody has a little bit of a background of, oh, I planted a seed and something grew, or I have this little, you know, four by eight raised bed, what can I put in it? Um, the easiest thing for me were sunflowers, zinnias, and cosmos. Um, and that's what I started with when I added those to my uh, farmer's market table. Um, and there are different types of sunflowers. Uh, I generally will recommend um, the pro cut variety because it's one seed, one stem, one bloom. Um, so it's not a branching okay, instead variety. Of, it's, yeah, instead of the ones that branch out. Yes, yes. So the branching okay. ones are, are pretty if you're going to leave them in your garden. They're not as great for cuts because the stems don't get as long. Um, but if you are going to cut them to bring them inside, they're very predictable. So like, the, for example, the pro cut variety, uh, most of them are 55 to 60 days from seed to bloom. And you know, you know, you can plan out when you're going to have them. So if you have like a, a baby shower you want to do flowers for, or, or, you know, a special occasion, you want to grow some flowers for your mom for her birthday. Like if it's in the summertime, because these are summer um tender annuals, warm season tender annuals, but you can plan that. And so, you know, on our farm, we plant sunflowers every week um, during the season from up to, gosh, we start them indoors. You can direct seed them. If you're just growing them for home garden, I would direct seed them. Um, but like right after your first 
or your last average frost date all the way up until um, 60 days before your first frost. Uh, and you can plant them every week, all season, if you've got space for them, and then you'll always have some coming. Um, and then we adjust the colors that we grow based on the season. So the ones that we start earlier are like uh, the Procut White Light, which is like a really creamy yellow. It fits really well with other spring blooms, pinks and pastels, whites and things like that. And in the summertime, the Procut Orange is your classic sunflower, you know, orange petals, dark centers. Um, and then we transition more into the Procut Plum, um, which is a bicolor. It's got red in the middle and yellow on the outside. And then we go into uh, Procut Red, which is like a almost like a chocolate, uh, but it's great for fall. Um, so I love those fall color sunflowers. Those are, I mean, I like a nice, you know, bright yellow sunny one, but those fall colors are just so cool to me. Yes. Yes. So that's, that's the sunflowers. Those are easy. Um, when we have people come to visit the farm, sometime I'll do like homeschool field trips and things and we'll let them arrange a bouquet, but then I'll also let them plant some sunflowers that they can take home because that is you know, no fail almost. Like these kids are going to be able to grow this. <laughs> um, give them sunlight, give them water, and they're off to the races. So they don't require a lot of care. So. Okay. And then the zinnias, so yes. that so you can succession plant the sunflowers, which I don't know why yes. I never thought about that. Duh. I've always just like thrown sunflowers out and expected them to do their thing and keep going. Anyway, geez. <laughs> um, so, but zinnias, those kind of keep coming on though, don't they? They do. They're cut and come again. Um, so also easy to grow, you also easy to direct seed, um, you know, during that warm season time, I always say these types of flowers are great to grow when you're planting your tomatoes and your peppers, you know, they love the same sort of hot weather, um, and they'll grow throughout the summer. Um, so the zinnias, you can, once they've sprouted and they've got a couple inches on them, you can pinch them. Um, to encourage branching so that you'll get more, you know, a bushier habit of a plant and more stems. Or if you're lazy or you just are conserving your energy, um, you can let them get their first bloom and then cut deep. And that acts as a pinch. Just cut it really deep and sacrifice those side shoots. You know, everyone's like, no, but those are potential baby flowers. That's okay. It's going to make more. It's going to pump them out. So cut low, strip all of that off, um, and it's going to plant it, more blooms will come. Um, we do succession plant zinnias here because after about a month or two, they start to look kind of ratty. Um, they're still producing, but it's, they're not as pretty. Um, so we do several successions throughout the summer. Um, we sell to florists wholesale. And so I really want to make sure that my florist flowers are spotless. They have no bug chews. They have no brown spots. Um, so I always want to make sure that I've got that premium flower. And then, you know, you can kind of tell when your other ones are looking a little sad. And if you've already got the other ones that are growing, then it doesn't hurt as much to rip them out. <laughs> you know, okay, these, these new ones look pretty. The old ones look nasty. Out they come. Moving on. Uh, so you kind of have to be ruthless. That's the other thing. It's like, just, just be ruthless. <laughs> and try something even if it if it doesn't work rip it out and plant something else like that's that's my mantra I kill as many plants as I grow so even the professionals nothing nothing's always 100 percent so you got to give yourself some grace on that oh I love that yeah so what was the third one sunflowers and is and then cosmos um so that's another hot weather loving plant um also easy to direct seed some people will say to um, keep it corralled or you keep it staked just because it gets really big. And if you get a windstorm, it can kind of flop it over. 
Um, it gets a very bushy habit and it has a lot of greenery before the flowers come generally, which some people are like, gosh, is my, are my cosmos ever going to bloom? What's the deal? But I'm okay with that because the greenery is awesome in mixed bouquets and in base arrangements. So it's a kind of a dual purpose thing. The flower itself has a little bit of a short base life, but if you're just cutting for your kitchen table, it's going to last about five to seven days, um, which is great. And it's very whimsical and airy and dancey. Cosmos are very dancey. And so they add that really pretty like filler sort of um, component. I have a florist who loves them for her bridal bouquets. They don't have to have a long base life. They just have to last for that day. Um, so she can't get enough of the cosmos for that. But I also like them just for the foliage. They have a green sort of fuzzy, like asparagus fern sort of um, appeal to them. It almost looks Dr. Seuss-ish. I grow a lot of funky flowers and I like things that are different. You know, I don't want my flowers to look like the stuff that comes from, you know, the 1-800 flowers or the, you know, telefloral florist. Uh, the florists that I do sell to are really... Um, interested in the unique and the different and local and how can I make my arrangement stand out so so we do kind of grow a lot of the funky stuff but that's kind of fun too and then I'll I'll show up at the florist with a bucket and I'm like oh my gosh what is that I'm, I've never seen that before I'm like oh just wait you're gonna love it <laughs> oh I love that that's amazing so the cosmos is that one that you succession plant at all or is it just once you and can let it go you can okay. it goes for a long time um if you're in a hot humid place or place that gets a lot of rain we get a ton of rain so it kind of after about half the season kind of starts to look a little yuck um, so I do succession plant. You don't have to, but if I want to keep it going for the second half of the summer, it's usually a good idea. Okay. So once people sort of get the hang of the easy annuals, do you do any, any perennials? Is that a thing in cut flowers? It is. Um, annuals are kind of getting your toes wet, um, because they're easy. The seeds are cheap. If you screw up, you can do it again next year or you can succession plant in the same season. Uh, perennials are more expensive to invest in and oftentimes they don't give you blooms right away. So you have to be patient. Um, the biggest perennial that most flower farmers grow is peonies. Um, and I don't grow them because I live in 8B and they do not grow well in, in a place that doesn't get a cold winter. Um, but zone seven and, and colder should be no problem. Um, most people say put them in three years before you plan to harvest them. So it is kind of a long-term thing, but I would grow them if I could. That's the one thing that I miss about living so far south is I can't grow peonies. I'm not successfully anyway. They're really popular here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've yeah. Lot, seen a lot of people that will sell the bulbs, you know, in the fall. And, yeah. you know, and I've always like, oh, yes, I want to. But my thing is, I need, I feel like I need to be prepared before I get anything in the way of a perennial. We were just mm -hmm. at the hardware store last night and they had, I want to say they were daffodil bulbs, mm -hmm. I think. And they're like, oh, yeah, perfect for fall planting and this, that, and the other. And I had this great big thing and I was so tempted. But I had these really ugly irises that I need to pull out first. Uh huh. <laughs> Because I would prefer to have daffodils or lilies or something yep, else. Yep. And I'm just not ready for it. So it's like, there's that temptation there to grab these bulbs and want to do something with them. But I, I feel mm -hmm. like I need to make sure that I'm prepared first, or they're just going to sit like in the basement and rot. And I'm not going to have anything, you know, yeah. I'm not going to do anything. Yeah. My daffodils are coming in a few weeks and I'm like, oh gosh, I don't have a spot for them yet. <laughs> Where am I going to put them? What's my plan? Because the daffodils are ones that you leave in the ground and they come back every year. So that's another good 
um, kind of perennial. It's a bulb, um, but you know when we grow tulips as a flower farmer, it's a one and done. We don't leave the tulips in the ground. Um, we actually pull the whole plant because you get like a good four to six inches of stem length that's underneath the soil. Um, and so you just chop off the bulb and throw it in your compost and you have a very long stem, which is what florists need. Um, if you were to just cut it off at the base, your stem would be very short. It's not gonna be as marketable. And you're cutting off all of that foliage that's feeding the bulb for next year. So if you want to use tulips in your landscaping, I would not recommend cutting them because if you want those bulbs to regenerate, you have to leave all the, the leaves and the foliage on there. So you can enjoy them in the landscaping, but if you're growing them as a cut, you plan for that one bulb to give you one flower and then it's done. Interesting. Yes. Um, and we do grow tulips here. Uh, we have to purchase pre-chilled tulip bulbs because our winters aren't cold enough. Um, but there are a lot of suppliers that will pre-chill them for you. So they've already art had their artificial winter and we plant them in the fall. And I think this year I was harvesting tulips in January, um, just out in the field. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good, like starter into the season. Hey, florists, remember me, we have flowers. Hey, local people who are like so hungry for flowers right now, we have them. Um, they're a high investment crop because the bulbs are not cheap. Um, and so you really have to manage it carefully so you don't lose money as a flower farmer. Now, if you're just growing them in the home garden, you can definitely enjoy them. But not necessarily as a cut flower. Yeah. Unless you have right. really short bases. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you leave the foliage. Leave the foliage there and just clip the stem. Yeah, I get that. Okay, interesting. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You guys know I've been using Elm Dirt's products in our greenhouse and gardens all summer long with fantastic results. But now I've realized all my houseplants I've neglected all gardening season are in desperate need of being potted up. Just in time, Elm Dirt has announced their newest product, their all-purpose potting mix. This mix is a blend of organic ingredients crafted to create a living potting soil. Not only does it contain their ancient soil, a blend of worm castings along with four of the most bioactive soil-enhancing ingredients, it also contains no peat moss. You guys know I'm super concerned about the environmental impact of peat moss and Elm Dirt has chosen to use pit moss for water retention instead. Pit moss is made from organic recycled paper and is a sustainable alternative to peat moss, which makes my little sustainable heart very happy. Elm Dirt is offering Just Grow Something gardening friends a little something special to get you started in using their products. Go to justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash dirt and use the code JUSTGROW at checkout to get a free bottle of their bloom juice with any purchase. That's justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash dirt with code JUSTGROW at checkout for a free bottle of bloom juice with any purchase from Elm Dirt. Yeah, like to put it in perspective for the a tulip bulb, I'm buying a wholesale tulip bulb and I'm paying somewhere between 40 and 60 cents for that bulb. And I'm selling that flower for probably somewhere between $1.20 and $1.50 a stem wholesale. 
if it makes it to harvest. Right. If it doesn't get botrytis or, you know, rabbits don't nibble it before, it, you know, we have rabbits. We don't have any other problems as far as deer and things, but rabbits are just ugh, my nemesis. Luckily, my barn cat eats rabbits, so that's fun. <laughs> but like for a pro cut sunflower, it, granted, it's in a different season, but that seed cost me three cents. Three cent seed, one bloom, I'm selling it for $1.20, you know, and it yeah. has less chance of something going wrong. Um, they're just an easier plant to grow and you get a, still a beautiful flower, um, but it costs you less to do it. Right, right. What are some other perennials that would make good cut flowers? Yes, um, down here, hydrangeas. Everybody loves their classic Southern Belle hydrangea. Um, so getting those bushes in and getting them established. Um, that's my goal right now. I have one hydrangea that I planted when I bought the place. Um, but I really need to have a hydrangea grove but down here. You have to grow them in the shade because it gets too hot. Um, yeah. further, further North, you can grow them in full sun and it's no problem. But, um, so I've kind of had to like live here for a while and see, you know, what my property does in different seasons and where the shade is and what, what trees lose their leaves and what trees keep their leaves. And um, so I think this season is when I'm going to invest in a larger number of hydrangeas to kind of have a hydrangea grove, but it'll be planted in a shady area, which I don't actually have much shade on the farm. Mm. Um, so it's kind of tricky to find where I'm going to put that. But um, Baptisia is another great perennial that you can use for the flowers or for the foliage. Uh, I planted it mainly for the foliage. Flowers only bloom for like two weeks out of the year in the springtime, or I guess here it'd be spring. Up farther north might be more towards the summer. Um, but the leaves are a real like silvery blue green, kind of in the same way that eucalyptus is. And so it is great for foliage. Um, so we planted that this past fall, I think. Um, and harvested some off of it this year. Um, but it's, I'm looking forward to it getting bigger and bushier and it is a bush. You can use it in your landscaping just as a shrub. It grows to be a big shrub um, depending on how hard you wanna cut off of it. Um, but Baptisia and the flowers come in a couple of different colors, blues and yellows and whites, I believe, but we got the blue one, um, but mainly it's just for the foliage. And so what, I mean, what other things would you use for foliage? Because I think that's uh, my biggest thing is like, yeah, okay, so I can pick some flowers and I can throw them in a vase. And I'm generally just kind of using the foliage that comes with that flower. I, I, I'm not, I don't have an eye for arrangement. I don't have an eye for that kind of stuff. So I would assume that there are some things that are just better for foliage. Yes. So using the foliage that's on the flowers is okay, except that you want to strip the lower foliage. Um, you don't want any leaves in your water. Uh, cause it turns it murky, turns it gross and you lose your base life. So you definitely want to strip all the lower foliage. And I strip most foliage off my flowers because the flowers will hydrate better if there's not a lot of leaves that also need hydration. So, um, if okay. people are like, why are my flowers wilty? It's like, well, probably cause you left too many leaves on there and it's just fighting to get water up to the bloom. Um, so like when I harvest a sunflower, I keep one leaf on the top unless it looks nasty and then I pluck it off. Um, you know, if it got a bug chew or something on it, if it's a pretty leaf, one leaf stays, everything else comes off or else the, the sunflower is going to droop, but other good foliage options. I really like gardenia foliage, just the gardenia shrub that's in a lot of people's yards. Um, I happened to have one on the back of the property when I moved in and I said, oh, that that's kind of, it's very, um, dark green and waxy and set up, hold up in a vase pretty well. So I picked it 
stuck it in my vase that with my arrangement, loved it. It does not wilt, it does not droop. Um, it's more of a, a kind of a woody shrub. So it kind of, it, it holds up well, um, but the color is rich and glossy. And um, so then when I did my first wedding, um, my brother actually had the whole head of gardenias that he was trimming back. And I'm like, will you save those for me, please? <laughs> so I've got like four or five gallon buckets full of all of his trimmings and used them um, for the bridal bouquet and just for the whole wedding. It was perfect. So gardenia foliage is, is awesome. Nice. So you, so going back to like the planning aspect of this, you said, you know, it's taken you a little bit to kind of figure out what's, what, what your son is like, what your, you know, your climate is. So what are the most important things to think about when planning a cut flower garden? Most cut flowers want full sun. Um, so luckily here we have a lot of full sun on our property, but if you're trying to decide where you're going to plant flowers, you want to make sure that they're getting, I mean, everybody says six to eight hours of sun at least, but really full sun is best. Um, so if it's a shady spot, they're just not going to do well. They're not going to get as tall. The blooms aren't going to get as big. They're just going to kind of languish. Um, so full sun, even if that means you need to build a little raised bed out in your backyard somewhere, um, you can really enjoy a cutting garden in that way. Depending on your soil type, uh, you want to kind of take that into consideration too. We have really sandy soil here because we're so close to beach. It is like planting in the sand. So we amend with a lot of compost. Um, if you have clay soil, you want to amend with a lot of compost too. So really only that rich, dark, loamy soil that everybody like desires. <laughs> that lucky population that hits yes. like right there. Yes. Yeah. Like very few people actually have. So compost is your friend. We actually source our compost from our municipal landfill. Um, because it's cheap. It is not the best quality compost. We don't really have anybody around here that makes good quality compost. We used to, and he stopped doing it because I called him. He's like, yeah, I don't do that anymore. I'm like, oh, okay. So we get it from the municipality and we just take our trailer um, and we load up the trailer um, like 25 bucks for a trailer load. They just, you know, take their big old you know, scoop and dump it on there. We come home and we shovel it out and just make a nice layer on top of our beds. And so whenever we're planting new for the season, we'll put add another layer of compost. Um, so definitely, you know, if you need a lot of compost, you might try to find a municipality or um, someone that can deliver a dump truck full. Um, but if you definitely need a little bit because you're planting in your yard, you can buy, you know, just bagged compost, um, depending on what size um, place you're going to plant. But definitely want compost. You want full sun. You want well-draining areas. Most cut flowers are not going to do well anywhere that stays boggy um, in a place that gets a lot of rain, like us. We have a lot of places that stay boggy. I'm like, yeah, can't plant there, can't plant there. Um, they like water. They need to be regularly watered, but they can't just sit in water. Um, so they don't like wet feet. That's, that's kind of the terminology for them. They don't like wet feet. So you want to make sure it's well draining. Adding compost generally will help with that if you have clay soil. Um, most of ours drains fine, except the low areas of our property. Um, we have, it just kind of goes to a, a slope all the way down. And at the bottom of the slope, it stays really mucky. But my plan for this year is to plant curly willow and pussy willow in that area. So they're, they're not a cut flower. They're more of a, a stick, but um, they love 
wet feet and they love mucky swampy areas and this formerly unusable place on my property I said this is what I'm doing this is what I'm doing so and they're a perennial and you can harvest off of them in the fall cut them basically down to knee high and then they come back again next year so um, I'm looking forward to it as we're adding more perennials to our property having some of those kind of things that can just once they're established they just keep on coming each year and and it's great that I can put them in a place that I couldn't use for anything else. So what advice do you have for the actual cutting of the flowers when you do it? I know you mentioned stripping most of that foliage off before, but anything else that we have to think about when we're actually cutting them? Um, harvest early in the morning or late in the evening, which is kind of the same with if you're harvesting, you know, your vegetables or your herbs, don't harvest in the heat of the day. They just, they'll wilt and they will not bounce back. Um, so early in the morning is best for me because our evenings are still really hot and really buggy. So I like soup, like sunrise, drink my coffee, walk my gardens. I'm like, oh, that needs harvest. That needs harvest. Okay, let's get the bucket and we'll go to it. Um, cut low. I always like to cut low. Like in the case of zinnias, the lower you cut, the more it'll branch out from the base. Um, and you want the longest stem you can because it can, you can do the most stuff with it. Um, so I definitely like to cut low, strip all that foliage off. Um, and then put it into clean water. Um, I harvest into um, five gallon buckets for my really tall stuff. And then I have a smaller like black florist bucket for my shorter things. Buckets have to be clean. Like you want them so clean, you would eat out of them. Um, because if there's any dirt, any anything on the inside, that's gonna dirty your water. And then dirty water gets up into the stem and then it reduces your base life and your flowers are just sad. Um, so we actually also will put um, a tablet in our harvest bucket. It's called a C CVBN tablet, but it's basically just a bleach tablet. Mm -hmm. uh, a little teeny tiny, looks like a baby aspirin, drop it in there and it keeps the water clean. Um, so that's what we do just for our harvest buckets. Now on a home garden scale, you probably wouldn't need that as long as you're harvesting directly into a fresh container of clean water, um, you should be fine. Um, so, but that's, that's generally with harvest. I use my, my Felco pruners, so they're good. Uh, I should wear gloves, but I don't, because <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a hassle. And then I'm like, oh gosh, my hands are, you know, completely stained. And then when I go to my off farm job, um, I work as a PA in dermatology and I'm all about skin and I'm like, gosh, I should probably, I'm sure they think my hands are dirty. I've, I've scrubbed them. I've, I've pumice stoned them and they're still not. <laughs> as they should be um so yes I should probably wear gloves just for that reason but oh well oh well, oh well. <laughs> <laughs> well this is I mean this has been very very informative there's actually a lot of stuff that I didn't even didn't even think about and didn't even know so um speaking of not knowing you actually have just written a book tell me about yeah. your book Yes. So it was kind of on my bucket list um, to write a book for a few years. And I didn't really know what kind of book or what, you know, what I had a baby and he is now two and a half. And that's kind of when I decided it needs to be a children's book. Um, he is with me in the fields. He is digging in the dirt right alongside me. Um, and, you know, as we're working, I'm explaining to him, you know, the soil or the compost or the worms or, you know, here's, here's our little baby transplant. We have to give it water and, you know, you have to be gentle with it. And he's learning all these things right alongside. And so um, this book is, you know, aimed toward kids ages three to seven. Uh, and it's all about healthy soil and how that helps us to grow 
our food and our flowers um, in a sustainable way and uh, take care of the, the land and the earth. Uh, it's called David's Farm Healthy Soil. Um, it should be published probably the end of October. Um, it is going to the publisher right now. We've finally done all the final edits and the illustrations and everything. Um, so I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be, it's going to be good. And as you know, everybody got into the, the home gardening boom um, after, you know, COVID and everything. Um, I think this is very applicable to those parents who want to garden with their kids. And um, it's good to get your kids outside and, and let them get dirty, let them put their hands in the soil and, and experience that and then pick their food and pick their flowers and know where it all comes from. I love that. I cannot wait to see this. You'll have to you'll have to let me know when when it comes out and we'll just blast it everywhere because that is super <laughs> exciting. I love it. Uh, anything else that we didn't that we didn't touch on that you think, you know, beginning cut flower growers ought to know? Um, just to circle back to that, give yourself some grace. Do it because you enjoy it and don't be hard on yourself if it doesn't work. Um, it's just flowers, you know, I mean, flowers are kind of my life. And so to say that is kind of interesting, <laughs> but, um, but you can try again and you can grow again. And, and even if you do everything right, sometimes it doesn't work. So, you know, just, just get your hands dirty and, and plant the seed and see what happens. And when you see that first bloom open, it's just like, I don't know, with me anyway, I'm like, jump up and down and clap and, you know, um, it's so exciting and it's really gratifying when when you get to say, look, look what I grew and isn't this amazing? Um, so, and then you get to share it with your family. Yeah, that's I mean, I mean, yeah, that's, you know, that's that's the whole thing behind, I guess, gardening in general. I've always equated it to food, you know, but there I mean, it's the same thing with with just about anything that you grow or make with your own two hands, there's that sense of accomplishment and that look what I did and you get to share it. I love that you get to share it. That's that's the best thing. For sure. So if people want to find out more about you and the farm and the book when it comes out, where can they find you online? Sure. So the website is uh, www.pkfarmlife.com tells us a little bit of everything about us and our family and our farm and our life. Um, and then um, on Facebook, it's at PK Farm Life. On Instagram, I've still got my old handle and I know I should change it, but I haven't. Um, it's at Kathy Zitnik, Z-I-T-N-I-K. That was my maiden name. So that's me. Um, and then when the book does come out, I plan to offer it on my website that you, know, you can have a, a signed copy from the author if you so desire, um, but it will also be available on Amazon um, and barnesandnoble.com. So that'll be really easy for, you know, people who aren't local or people who just want to order it and have it delivered somewhere else. Um, so I'm excited about that. That's fantastic. I will link to all of those things in the show notes so everybody can just click and go find you. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your knowledge with us today, Kathy. I really appreciate it. Karen, thank you for having me. Okay, so what's on your list now for your own cut flowers? I've got zinnias and sunflowers to start with, but I want to add hydrangeas and daffodils and lilies and maybe a baptisia shrub or two. And the tulips, well, maybe when I get around to pulling up those ugly irises in the front, I'll replace them with tulips and only cut one here or there. And I am pleased to say that Kathy's children's book, David's Farm Healthy Soil, 
was released last week ahead of schedule. I'll be ordering copies for each of my grandbabies for Christmas presents, and I will leave a link for you in the show notes if you have a young one who maybe gardens alongside you who would benefit from learning about sustainable growing through a child's eyes. I hope that you got as many valuable tips from this conversation as I did. I am raring to go to add cut flowers to my garden plan for next year. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden, and we'll talk again soon. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. For more information about today's topic, head on over to JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com for all the episodes, show notes, blog posts, discount codes, and more. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. You can also head to Facebook and join a community of other gardeners asking questions and sharing their experiences in the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group. And if you want to support this show even further, head to patreon.com slash justgrowsomething to find out how. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep learning, keep growing, and we'll talk again soon.